Welcome back to Brentwood Stories. Super Bowl champion, youth mentor, college graduate, Brentwood alumni. These are just a few of the phrases that can be used to describe Gary Brown. Brown grew up here in Brentwood before attending Nassau Community College. Later, he attended Georgia School of Technology, where his talents on the field shined. Brown would go on to be drafted in 1994 as a fifth-round pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Later that year, he was transferred to the Green Bay Packers, with whom he would go on to win the Super Bowl in 1997. Today, Brown is an author, a mentor to risk youth, and an inspiration. Thank you, Gary, for coming and meeting with us today. Let's start off. In your own words, tell the listeners, who's Gary Brown? Who is Gary Brown? I would say I'm a replica or a product of my parents, um, not just because they birthed me, but the way they raised me. Um, I'm a man of integrity. I try and mean what I say and say what I mean. I, um, I'm a person who looks to get and give the same respect to others. And I'm a person who likes to um, make everything around me a little bit better or leave it a little better than I found it in a nutshell. All right. So you talked about your parents, but you also grew up in Brentwood. So what would you say that shaped your life? Brentwood. A lot of people, a lot of the media, a lot of bad news from Brentwood. I'm very proud that I come from Brentwood. I, I, I make sure whenever I travel, whenever I've done an interview from here to Europe, to Canada, all of the United States, they say, oh, you're from New York. And I make sure it's no, no, I'm from Brentwood, New York. And it's a major difference because I believe Brentwood is responsible for who I am today, the man that I am today. I didn't have a rough upbringing. Uh, I'm a product of my environment, but we dealt with things, you know, growing up on the north side of Brentwood in between Regis Park and Ellery and all of those things like that, right by North Middle School, there was many obstacles that we had to overcome as children outside of just going outside the play. Territorial things, society things, social things. And we didn't look at it as kids. We just looked at it as kids having fun. But it, it definitely made me who I am today. Made me um, represent my family and where I come from at the highest degree, but also protected at the highest degree. Didn't let anybody, you know, talk bad about my block or where I was from or my parents. And I, that holds true to this day. So Brentwood is very responsible for the man that you see before you or the man you're listening to. Yeah, well, I very much love the community here after working here for so long. It's a great area. So let's talk about uh, what are some of your favorite places in Brentwood, current or historical? Wow. <laughs> so I would be frowned upon if I didn't say the Brentwood Public Library, where you oh, can yes. see everybody and meet all walks of life and, and, and people coming in for all different reasons. I've been in there just to be quiet and sit in the corner and work on my computer without anybody noticing me. But also if I need a friend, I could sit in the front and within five minutes, I will have a conversation. There's some great restaurants in Brentwood. There's some great programs in Brentwood. Uh, I grew up with the BYA and, and those youth programs. Many friends till this day that were forged in that, in, in that arena. My dad used to run the BYA when it was one of the elite youth programs in, in Long Island. 
definitely the youth programs and, and things of that nature. I remember the rec center holding boxing when Buddy McGirt was just getting started and all the kids that were down there boxing and, and how big it was. Um, outside of that, you can't forget the, the Latin food and cuisine, which is on every block from Fifth Avenue to Suffolk Avenue. I'm a freak, frequent flyer to the Portuguese restaurant. So when we talk about Brentwood and what are some of my favorites, that's easy because when I traveled and lived in Europe or lived in Canada or, or was away from New York for a long time, I couldn't wait to get back home for the pizza, which <laughs> is Tony's Pizza, uh, you know, in North Brentwood. I couldn't wait to get back to the Chinese food, who I still go to to this day. I have I'm friends with the owners um, over the years. It's been a family affair. I call, they know my voice. You can't forget bagels. You know, those are things that make not just New York what it is, but Brentwood what it is. And, and so I'm a fan of all of those things. Our parks, second to none. Um, I, we used to go outside as kids and they say, go play, you know, with what, you know, but we had the seesaws and the merry-go-rounds and the slides, and that was our playground. And we played with it until we couldn't fit on it anymore. So there's so many different wonderful staples in, in, in Brentwood that people just need to come in and, and let their hair down and have a sangria and eat some food, and it, it'll change your whole opinion about Brentwood. All right, so talking more about, I guess, how you got your start, how did you even start playing football? What inspired you? So this is a weird, this is a great story. Uh, when I was young, I don't know what grade it was. It must have been fifth or sixth grade. I was watching probably Monday Night Football, and it was the Chicago Bears. And Jim McMahon was, you know, a social, uh, you know, phenomenon. And he took his headband off because they were getting their butts kicked. And he came out after halftime, and he had it around his neck. And everybody's, what's this nut doing? Oh, my God. And then he went on to play an excellent second half. He came back. He won the, won the game. They went on that year to win the Super Bowl. And they had the Super Bowl shuffle with Icky Woods and all of these things. And I was like, wow. So sometime that week, we had an assignment in school with Mr. Vasillo. I remember this teacher. He was a wonderful man. And that he had an assignment on what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote down, I wanted to be a professional football player. Got my grade, didn't think anything else about the letter. Went on to, after high school, I played at Nassau Community College, where I realized that I might have a talent to play at a Division three. If I'm lucky, a good Division two school. I ended up getting a scholarship to Division one, And around the time of me getting a scholarship, Within a year or two, I was drafted to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which was like blew my mind, blew my parents' mind. I was like, wow, I think I'm a local hero overnight. And I didn't even, all I did was answer a phone call, but it was great. You know, everything I did from Brentwood up to that point prepared me for that moment. And ironically, after playing in the NFL for a couple of years, I received a letter from my sixth grade teacher. And those letters were, what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I received that letter back. And it was such an emotional, powerful point that was like, wow. So to this day, I write down my goals, my dreams. I actually have an organization called Dream 68, 
and it's behind making kids dream and letting them know don't be afraid no matter how big or how silly somebody else thinks it is you have the power to dream and you have the power to fulfill your dreams let's write them down and let's get after them it works for me a lot of the things i talk about with kids and a lot of things i talk about um, mentoring and doing other things is all about having the the, the, the guts to write it down and, and follow through with them and that's what i do it's awesome yes all right. So you played offensive line. Yes. Uh, I did that too when I was a kid. I wasn't a fan of offensive line. I found it too difficult. But what were your secrets for blocking? <laughs> and Wow. Interesting. I don't get that a lot. So I became an offensive lineman over swallowing my pride. Everybody, if you played football, you know, everybody wants a position to score touchdowns, make interceptions, say, oh, look at me, look what I did. You know, offensive line, you have no stats. We have no great moments. Uh, you know, when a quarterback throws a ball or the running back runs the ball or receiver catches a touchdown, they did a great job. Nobody thinks about the offensive line. When the offensive line screws up or the quarterback gets sacked or the play doesn't go right, now everything's the offensive lineman's fault. Mm-hmm. So at Nassau Community College, I didn't want that position. I wanted to play defensive line. I wanted to play a position where I can get sacks, where I can showboat, where I can be a star. And I tried out for the team. And back then they had a made it list and a cut list. So if you were on a made it list, you made the team. If you're on a cut list, pack your bags, come back next year and try again. I wasn't on either list. And I was so confused and I was so hurt and I was embarrassed. I just said, okay, I guess I didn't make the team. So a couple of days after roaming the halls, the coach runs into me and he says, Gary Brown, where you been? And I'm like, you know my name? Um, I didn't make the team. He's like, yeah, but I didn't cut you either. What's the problem? And I'm like, I don't know. What was I supposed to do? There was no in-between list. He was like, well, truth of the matter is we have our defensive line. They're very talented. But the offensive line sees some talent in you. And he says he thinks you could be a good offensive line alignment. And I said, wow, well, he's like, do you want to play offensive line? And I was like, if that means I made the team, I'd rather make the team as an offensive lineman than not make the team as a defensive lineman. So, of course, I would love to play it. So when I started playing offensive line, I started to develop a, a, a playing it with a more of aggressive style than most offensive linemen. A lot of offensive linemen sit back and receive the hits. And I'm like, I'm going to give them out. And it really was because of fear. I was scared to get hit, so I'd rather give the hit. And it developed over the time that I was playing it out of an aggressive offensive lineman. I started making my own stats. Every time I knock somebody down, I, I put a notch on my belt. Every time I pancake somebody, I, knocked, I made that notch on my belt. And, and I started playing it with a different mentality which led me, plus I was athletic. I loved playing basketball. So I had a little better feet than the average offensive lineman. We're known to be clumsy, big, you know, roughnecks. Um, <laughs> I played it with a little more style, grace, but delivered that punch. So at Nassau, I developed the love of offensive linemen. And at Georgia Tech, when I got even better, more coaching, that's when I fell in love with the position. I was like, 
I can do this at a high level and I don't have to be the typical sloppy offensive lineman. I tucked in my shirt or I wore a half shirt and I represented, uh, you know, Brentwood and, and my family on and off the field. But I played it at a very high, aggressive level. And that's when I fell in love with that position. That's awesome. I yeah. have to say, I really do appreciate the um, keeping your own scorecard for yourself and what you do. I think that probably would have motivated me to stick with it. Well, you know what? Sometimes you have to do that. You know, when you're in society or when you're in a job or when you're in a position where you start losing the love or the the, the umph or, or that extra, you know, sometimes you got to make up your own rules or sometimes you got to keep your own stats to improve yourself just a little bit better. And I think that was a difference in, in me and a lot of my players that I played with from little league to high school to college. What made me different? Uh, I played with a lot of players that were much better than me. How did I make it? And they did it. And I think when I ran into the, that slack tide, that, that, very monotone moment. I um, invested in myself to, to push through and forward, whether it's making up stats, whether it's, you know, competing with myself or competing with the person next to me or the person across from me. But I always tried to push myself to get better. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So I would say we'll, we'll move on basically to uh, like the NFL, your time, your time there. So your team did go to the Super Bowl. What was most memorable about that? My family. Um, I'm a very family-oriented person. Going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, it's all like almost like a dream. You have a dream, and then the next morning, you, you remember some of it, and you know it was good, but you can't remember all of it. And it doesn't get solidified until you remember the whole thing. That's what winning the Super Bowl was like. Like It didn't get solidified until we got the rings. Like, you know what? I was probably on the way back from New Orleans where we wanted to play the Super Bowl. And it wasn't until we landed and got into these buses with no windows and had to drive around the city and probably 20 degree weather freezing because we just came from New Orleans where it was hot at. And now we're in there with sweaters on, you know, but the city was filled with people in the streets cheering for hours. And it was like, wow. We really won a Super Bowl. And, and, you know, knowing it within a team is one thing, but then expressing it with your fans and, and the people that love you, there's nothing like it. Between that and my family actually being there. So, you know, we all get tickets for the game when you go, 10, 20 tickets, whatever it was. And I gave my family the option. I said I could bring some of the family and everybody else is going to have to stay and we're going to have to pick and choose who goes. Oh, I could bring everybody in the family and have my father and my brother and my cousin that I know and I really appreciate being at the game go. So they were like, let's everybody go. And so I gave out, I sold all those tickets so that I could bring my whole family there. And we got an entertainment room with televisions and food and they watched it there. And my brother, my father and my cousin went to the game, who really appreciated it. And then after the Super Bowl was over, I went back to them and we had a party. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So you've talked about how you always like looked forward, coming back to Brentwood, being able to go to the places you wanted to go to. But how was it playing outside of the country when you played for Barcelona and Canada? And what's different about playing in other countries? Another great question. So 
I didn't know what I was in for going to Barcelona or Canada. I did it because of my love of the sport. The worst thing you can do is have something you love so much come to an end. So at the end of my NFL career, I was trying to hold on to any bit I could. So my first time going to Barcelona was to prove that my knee was healthy enough to play at a high level. And I went with that mental mentality, like I shouldn't be here. So I didn't enjoy it as much because um, I was kind of bitter that I had to step down before I could step back up, which led me back to going to the 49ers, which so it played its role. But then when I realized the harsh reality that my NFL career was over, it was like, do I hang up my cleats and go home really bitter? Or do I allow myself the opportunity to play a sport that I actually love to do? And Barcelona was giving me the opportunity. So I went back with a total different mentality. And I really took in and sunk in what the land had to offer. I was on the Mediterranean Sea on a five-mile boardwalk in a party town at a young age. What not to love about it? And I got to play work at something I love to do. So I, I, my second time there was much more enjoyable than my first. And then when I went to Canada, it was admitting to myself that my NFL career was over. And I was very happy that somebody wanted me to come and play football for them. So I went there with bells on. I know you guys are a little bit younger than me, maybe by a year or two. But do you ever move, see the movie Slapshot? Slapshot is an old school hockey movie about these three triplets. And they play hockey with the old school mentality. You know, a little rougher than a normal hockey player, a little dirtier than a normal hockey player. I describe playing in Canada like that. Like, you know, they're going to, you might get, you know, punched a little bit or, or a little roughed up after the play because that's their theory of football. And, and it wasn't nothing serious to injure you, but it was just to, you know, get you mad and get you off your game. And if you were weak-minded, you let that happen. So I, I, I view playing at Canada very similar to that. But I also loved it because we had the freedom to, you know, at the locker room, if you, at the end of the game and you had a great game and you wanted a cold beer, you can do that in Canada. In the NFL, as a as a uh, an employee of the NFL, it's illegal for me to have a cold beer, whether I want to or not, on NFL property, which I find very ironic. You know, playing football, playing in the NFL was great, but the worst thing that came out of it was I learned the business side of it, which is not so fair to the athlete or to a lot of people, you know, on many different levels. The politics of it is horrible. Yeah. But, you know, that's one thing I wish I could erase. But that's one thing that I loved about Canada. You know, their politics were much different and much more lenient and much more for the player, for the sport. You know what I mean? It's not monopolized. So there was a lot of great things that came out of playing overseas and in another country but you have to open your mind up to, to witness it and to accept it. I know players that played overseas that hated every moment of it. And they were like, oh, this is not how we cook our eggs or this is not how we do our steak. And it's like, well, you're not at home. You know, adapt and, and move on. You know, appreciate what you have. And this goes, plays over and over in my after football career that, you know, sometimes you got to accept where you're at and, and accept the, the cards you're dealt 
and play them to the best of your ability if you want to smile and enjoy it. Yeah, that's a very good mentality about dealing with that. You know, dealing with life in general, just accepting where you are and making the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so your football career ends, you know, you finish playing overseas and you have your foundation. So what exactly made you start the foundation? What made me start the foundation is another great story. I've always wanted to help, always wanted to give back, especially when I was playing. Um, but there was always, oh, I, I got more important places to do. I have this to do. I have to go do this autograph signing. I have, you know, this party to go to or this event. And I never did. I, I You know, I, my mind was in the right place, but my time and my heart didn't make it happen. And after my football, I don't know how much you know about my story, but after my football career, I was working here locally and I hurt my back. When I hurt my back, I thought it was just a pulled muscle. I was going to rub some dirt on it and keep going. Um, weeks later, it didn't get better or worse. Months later, I, I took a, a turn for the worse. Within weeks, I was paralyzed from waist down. After that, I went through some very dark times. Why me? You know, a lot of those questions come into, uh, I didn't like going out in public because I didn't want people to see me, this alpha male in a wheelchair, or I always thought people were looking and pointing at me. And I heard a guy on the internet named Nick Wojcik. He's a quadriplegic, no arms, no legs. He has a little foot sticking out of his hip. And this guy was on top of a table, on top of a stage, telling a lot of able-bodied people how to live life. And got a lot out of that because it's usually I was dealing mentally with doctors, nurses, therapists, friends, family. Oh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And it's like, you could say that, but you're going to go outside and run around when you're done telling me that, like walk a mile in my shoes before you tell me that. But here was a guy that was, had every reason to throw in the towel and he's jumping out of planes and going down ski mountains and had a family and, you know, live this elaborate life. And I'm like, wow, this guy has no arms, no legs, and he's doing all of these things, and he's teaching people how to live life. And his message was, you want to get over your own problems, help somebody with theirs. Mm -hmm. And soon after, I volunteered at Big Brother, Big Sister, and that just, the light bulb went off. It just turned on, and it was like, you know, maybe I went through all of this pain and agony and embarrassment to put me in this position, and I'm going to open up my heart and open up my time and let it happen. And the day I volunteered, things just turned around for me. My my things, the sun got a little brighter. My, my thoughts got a little clearer. My my future got a little bit better. And things just moved on from there. Um, and doing that, I, I wanted to learn more about nonprofits and organizations. I started volunteering with the Red Cross, where I met Celia. I'm on the Guide Dog Foundation board. I'm on, I do volunteering with the Red Cross, plus I'm on the board. I do work with an amazing organization called Play for Your Freedom that deals with veterans. And, and that giving back felt so good. And it gave me a purpose then feeling sorry for myself. And then came, you know, Dream 68, which is a nonprofit that I started that's geared towards helping people dream, helping kids dream. And, and it's it's therapy for me. So, you know, when I was in a very dark place, it gave me that outlet and things just got brighter and brighter. So 
I use it as my therapy. And as long as I, I keep doing that work, I have good days, I have bad days, but I, I keep doing it and I don't let it stop me. So that's what led me there. Awesome. So let's start talking about uh, Reflections of a Champion. Uh, awesome. came out and what inspired you to write it? So that company I was talking about, Place of Your Freedom, um, me and the founder of that organization became very good friends. And with that company, I spoke a lot at veteran hospitals, whether it's with the amputee units, whether it's with the substance abuse units, the PTSD units. We used to get them outside and play and break bread and other athletes would come. But this gentleman knew, he heard so many of my stories and variations of my stories that he had them, he knew most of them mentally. And about three years ago, maybe four years ago, we took a trip to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that was my first time back in 23 years since I left. You know, I, I left and when 90% of the people, football leaves them, you don't leave the game. And football left me, so I was very bitter. And this is my first time back in 23 years. I didn't know what to expect. And he went with me to um, put a Play for Your Freedom event at the back of an autograph signing. So no matter what happened during that time of the autograph signing, we were going to be okay with going to do our work for Play for Your Freedom, ending on a good note, and coming back home. Well, that trip was such an emotional roller coaster, up and down, left and right. When we got back, he said, Gary, I'm compelled to write about this. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, I just feel we should, I should write about this trip. I'm like, all right, whatever, go ahead, knock yourself out. And the piece that he wrote about this was so inspiring and so powerful. I'm like, wow, you, I'm like, I want to save this forever. I want to put this in a book form, get it printed, a hardcover, and I want to put it in my thing. He was like, well, wait. Let's keep going and let me write about what I know about your stories. You're going to help me and you're going to correct where I'm wrong and we're going to put them in, in, in chronological order. And that's what we did all through the pandemic. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we started looking for um, publishing. We signed with uh, Page Publishing maybe in November, December. And now we have our product in hand. All right. Um, it's a wonderful book. It talks a lot about what we just spoke about, but more detail from growing up in Brentwood to the challenges I faced going to uh, playing at National Community College, Georgia Tech, being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, the uh, ups and downs of the NFL and, and, and being left from one team and going to another, all the way to our present day right now. It's a book that's all meat and potatoes. There's no fluff. It's made for anybody from a young teen to a elderly veteran or anybody in between. As you walk this earth, everybody goes through things mentally, physically, emotionally. This book puts things in perspective for anybody. Other than at the library, where can people find You can find Reflections of a Champion on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. It's going to be on the digital form. It'll be coming out in maybe a week or two. It's going to be on all platforms everywhere. Once I haven't started marketing yet, but the marketing is going to be everywhere. Put it this way. If you're anywhere in the area, you won't, you won't be able to hide from it. It's going to hit you in the face someplace or another. All righty. 
right, so I think we only have one final question for you. And that would be when people look back at your legacy after they read your book, how do you want them to remember you? I want them to remember me as I made things better. Whether, no matter what it was, uh, you know, how small or how big, I don't want to be remembered as a thorn. I don't want to be remembered in a negative way. I think when you play football, you're called by your last name your whole life. Brown, go here. Brown, do this. Brown, do that. Now, after football, I want Brown, especially G Brown, I want that to mean something positive. I want that to, I want to, you know, be known as somebody contributing to the society to make it better, especially in these day and age where, you know, no matter which side you sit on, up, down, left, right, there's always finger pointing, there's always name calling, there's always, they did it. I don't, I'm not that guy. I just want people to look at me and be like, you know what? You can say what you want to say about Gary. He made things better. And if that's the if my final days and people remember me like that, I'll be a happy man. Well, thank you very much for meeting with us. We're very much looking forward to getting our copy in of Reflection of a Champion. Yes, sir. Check it out immediately. Oh, I'm next. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And it was great talking with you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Are you interested in being interviewed on Brentwood Stories? Email adultprograms at brentwoodnylibrary.org for a chance to be featured on the podcast. That's adultprograms at brentwoodnylibrary.org.